It was the summer of 1997. My parents had just moved from Leesburg, Georgia to Sandersville, Georgia, where my dad was going to be the pastor at the Methodist Church in Sandersville. It was also the summer between my 8th grade and ninth grade year of school. I spent four years in Leesburg, and I often tell people my favorite year of school was 8th grade. Um, I know that's not a lot of people's favorite grade, but that was mine. You see, it's a lot like 8th grade is a lot like 12th grade. You're the top of your school, middle school, um, but you don't have the stress of doing all the things you need to do to get into college in the next phase of life, you know? So... Um, but in eighth grade, I also had a very, very close group of friends that we did everything together w- with. And eighth grade was also the year that I had my first serious girlfriend. We didn't begin dating till the second half of eighth grade, and it wasn't all. It was, and it wasn't too long after we were dating uh, that I found out that my family uh, was going to be moving. Of course, we were determined to keep up a long-distance relationship uh, going, you know, despite the fact that we weren't old enough to drive and we were only in eighth grade. But we did communicate through letters and phone calls for a couple of weeks. (laughs) This was, again, before uh, cell phones and before the Internet really had taken off. Um, uh, But I will never forget coming home uh, to our new house in Sandersville uh, during that summer. After I think my parents and I, we'd gone out to eat and we'd come home. And one of the first things that my dad loved to do when he got in the house, I was telling somebody the other day, he, before, if we went on a long trip, one of, the, one of the other things he would do is he would go to the post office before he'd go home. Uh, but one of the things, if we just went to town and came home, he would check the answering machine. Um, y'all, 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 some of y'all know what an answer machine is. Some, 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 of, some of you don't. Um, then this was uh, pre-cell phones, voicemail, text messages. Uh, there was a message on the answer machine. It was a message that any young boy or girl never wants to receive. My eighth grade girlfriend from Leesburg, Georgia, had chosen to dump me over the phone and to do it by answering machine. (laughs) And not only that, but I was flanked on either side by my mom and my dad. Every boy's dream. Complete embarrassment, complete heartache. I was tore up from the floor up. I was crushed. My ego was demolished, heart torn out, ripped up, put on the floor. Spit out all, all on the answering machine. Now they say it is better to have loved and lost than to not loved at all. I swear whoever came up with that was not an 8th grade boy who got dumped over the answering machine. Now, things turned out alright for me. In a few short months I would meet my future wife. And the rest they say, happily ever after. But it does beg the question, would we rather have loved and lost than to have never loved at all? And this, this, this idea, this question really goes beyond any kind of romantic relationship. That kind of love is included, but we're talking about all forms of all kinds of relationship. 
For those of us here who have experienced the love that a parent has for a child, could you ever see yourself without that love? Nothing could replace or compare the love that I have for my three children. I couldn't fathom not understanding and experiencing that kind of love. Those of you who have experienced the love a grandparent has for a grandchild, or or vice versa, can you imagine not ever experiencing that kind of love? I'm telling you what, there's a special set of emotions and feelings and love that God has given to grandparents and to grandchildren. It also turns out that that love turns normal, rational, logical adults into crazed human beings who will buy anything and do anything for their grandchildren. The same rules that applied to us as children no longer apply to the grandchildren. But you, grandparents, can you imagine not knowing or experiencing that love? I could go on and on and on. Some of you this morning have a special relationship with a guardian in your life. It's not a, a biological parent or, or, or a grandparent, but they have loved you with everything that they have, have and, and, and you have done the same to them. Others of us have a special relationship with an aunt or an uncle or a cousin, a friend. Can you imagine not having that love for that person? Most of us can't. We don't even know, we don't even know where to begin. We don't remember a time when we didn't have that love for that person. You see, we just can't fathom not experiencing love in our various relationships because we can't fathom a world without Jesus. We can't fathom a world where Christmas morning never took place. Because here's the thing, if Christ had never come, we would not know love. If Christ had never come, we would not know love. 1 John 4 says this, Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And as I talked about last week, Christ was called Emmanuel, God with us. So if Christ had never come, we would not know God, therefore we would not know love. It's a scary thought to think of a world without love. Although, Turn on the television, open up your computer, turn on your phone. You look at all that's happening in our world, it's easy to conclude that we currently live in a world without love. If love was truly active and alive in our world, why do do students get shot at school? Why do shoppers who are just trying to get their Christmas shopping done get shot up? If love was truly in the world, why do the poor continually get overlooked and the homeless stay homeless? If love was truly in the world, why do children every day lose their parents to war, to drugs, to crime? I tell you what, I, I look around and I, I don't see a world without love. I don't see a world that doesn't know love. I look around and I see a world that doesn't know Christ. I see a world full of people who live as if Christ had never come on Christmas morning. Because if they did, if this world knew Christ and lived like him, then our eyes would be blinded by love. And that may sound cheesy and antiquated, silly, naive, whatever, but I believe it to be true. 
In our passage this morning, Jesus instructs the disciples and therefore instructs all of us who have chosen to follow Christ, love each other as I have loved you. The command is not simply love each other, although that's the phrasing at the end of the the verse, but it's to love each other as Christ has loved us. We're to love the way Christ loves. So it begs the question, how does Christ love? Well, there's numerous examples throughout the scriptures of Christ demonstrating his love for us and others, and I could go through a whole list of ways Christ loves, but I'm just going to focus on a few this morning. When I read the Gospels, and particularly when I look at the life of Christ, how Christ loves, I notice that Christ loved with compassion. He loved with compassion. Compassion means to suffer with. When we have compassion, we see the suffering of others and we feel their pain, their, their pain and their plight. And not only do we feel their pain, we, des- we desire to re- re- uh, relieve their pain. Wouldn't you agree that this world needs more compassion? Maybe not. I think so. Because Jesus was full of love, because Jesus was love, he was full of compassion. Everywhere he went, he saw people in need. He saw people who were sick and needed to be made well. He saw people who were outcast and who needed to be brought back into the fold. He saw the lost who needed to be found. Matthew 9 puts it this way. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Wherever Jesus was, when we read about in the Gospels, he's always surrounded by people, crowds. And in those crowds were sick, were the lame, hungry. One such instance, Jesus told the disciples, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat, and I am unwilling to send them away hungry. So Jesus, you know, being Jesus, would later take seven loaves of bread and a a couple of small fish and miraculously feed over 4,000 people. Jesus lived a life of love filled with compassion. That meant he not only saw need and felt the pain of others, but he desired and he did something to relieve their suffering. I'm afraid we live in a world where either we don't see people suffering, we become blind to it, maybe because we're too busy, maybe because we're too inward focused, I don't know. We either don't see their suffering or we see the suffering of others around us and even if we feel their pain, we lack the desire, we lack the motivation or the energy to do anything to help. Maybe it's because we focus too much on ourselves and put too much energy into solving our own problems that we lack the real compassion needed to help the suffering of others. All I do know is that if we love more like Jesus, we look more like Jesus, then compassion would seep out of every fiber of our being that that we would seek to meet the need of of a suffering world, that there would be less suffering in this world. If we're to love like Jesus, we're to love with the same compassion that he loved with. And if we love like Jesus, 
we're to forgive like Jesus. Some of you just felt your toes just like, what? Yeah, we're to forgive like Jesus. In a culture that doesn't look like Jesus or act like Jesus, forgiveness, the concept of forgiveness, can be one of the most foreign, hardest concepts to grasp. Love, compassion, forgiveness are only things that come from knowing Christ and allowing the Holy Spirit to work in you. We cannot do those things on our own. So when Jesus taught that we are to forgive our enemies, that does not make sense to a world that doesn't know Jesus. It's hard to grasp the fact that Jesus taught us that there are, lim- there are, there are no limits to our forgiveness. As long as there is breath in us, we're to offer forgiveness to one another. One of the greatest acts of love is to forgive someone who has wronged us. But not only did Jesus teach us to forgive, he demonstrated it. A lot of us know the story of Peter. Peter, Peter was Jesus' right-hand man, so to speak. He was the unofficial leader of the disciples. When Jesus told the disciples that they would deny and betray him, you remember Peter was the first one to rebuke uh, Jesus? Oh, Jesus, get out of here. That's crazy talk. We know what happens next. When Jesus was arrested, going to trial, the crowd saw Peter recognized him as one of Jesus' followers. And so three times Peter is recognized by the people and three times Peter denies knowing Jesus. He denied Jesus. He denied being a follower of Christ. If any of us had been betrayed like that, I don't know that, I don't know that Pastor Allen. Woo. Or I don't know so-and-so. Nope. If any of us had been betrayed like that, in our darkest hour, the last thing on our minds would have been forgiveness. Well, Jesus obviously was sentenced to death on a cross. He was buried in the tomb for three days. The disciples were scared of what would happen, so they spent three days locked away in fear. You had to, you had to know Peter spent those three days in anguish and pain, thinking to himself, there's no way for reconciliation. He's never going to be able to ask for forgiveness. There's no way for that relationship to be restored. And then it happens. Jesus is resurrected. He appears to the disciples behind those locked doors. And later, at the end of the Gospel of John, Jesus appears to, uh, to Peter. And they have this wonderful exchange where Jesus asked Peter three times, the same number of times that Peter denied him. He asked him, do you love me? Three times Peter says yes, and three times Jesus says, feed my sheep. And I've always looked at that exchange as as a way of Jesus forgiving Peter for those three denials. Forgiving him and freeing him to go and to do the work that he was called to do. And we read in Acts of all the things that Peter did was able to preach and to do. God's love is demonstrated through forgiveness. Who do you need to show love towards by forgiving them? I'm willing to bet, just the law of averages, that a lot of us here this morning are going to experience an awkward Christmas maybe discomfort this Christmas, this season, due to a lack of forgiveness. 
maybe you're going to have to sit down at a table and share a meal with a family member or a loved one or a friend whom you haven't forgiven or they haven't forgiven you. Maybe, just maybe, you're not even going to share a meal with them because you or the other person's not going to show up because there's unforgiveness in the relationship. Isn't this the perfect time of year to look, to begin to look and to love like Jesus? Who do you need to love through forgiveness? Final way I want us to love like Jesus is to love through action. Love is more than a feeling. Love is more than words. And, and I, I want to be careful with this because there are some who desperately, desperately need to hear those three words, I love you. You haven't heard it your entire life and you are so desperate to hear it. So I don't want to discount the words of I love you. At the same time, I can say I love you to my wife and to my kids, but if I don't do anything to show that love, then those words are meaningless. No, love is demonstrated through action. Jesus called it a command. A command is something that you do. It is action, not just words, and certainly not just a feeling. And that feeling comes uh, through those actions. Jesus demonstrated his love for us on the cross. He loved us so much that he gave his life for us. He knew that our sins could only be forgiven by the sacrifice and the shedding of blood from a perfect sacrifice. And so what did Jesus do? He lived the perfect life. He was the perfect sacrifice. Jesus tells us in our passage, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. That's exactly what Christ did for all of us. When's the last time you sacrificed yourself in order to show love to someone else? Obviously, I'm not talking about dying because we're all here, right? I'm not talking about laying down one's life in death. I'm talking about the last time you put someone else's needs, their time, their desires above your own. Love is best demonstrated when we sacrifice ourselves and our time, our desires, our needs for those of others. So when's the last time you spent an hour of uninterrupted, undivided time with your spouse, with a child, with a parent, with a, with a friend? When's the last time you sacrificed your plans for the plans of a loved one? I mean, let's get super small here. When's the last time you let the rest of your family choose where to go eat? Where to go on vacation? What activity you were going to do next? On a much, much bigger scale, Jesus sacrificed it all. He gave his all. All because he loves us. In return, he commands that we do the same with each other. So this Christmas, if you want to remember the reason for the season, if you really want to keep Christ in, in Christmas, then make sure you love. Make sure you show compassion. Make sure you show forgiveness. Make sure you show and act on your love for one another.
let's begin to look and act like Jesus this Christmas. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the example of Christ. We are constantly, always learning from Him. Father, help us to learn to love like Christ. Father, if Christ had never come, if You never sent that amazing gift on Christmas morning, we wouldn't really know We wouldn't know you. We certainly wouldn't know love. So let us learn from him. We pray that we would allow Christ to live in us so that love would live in us as well. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.